Our scripture lesson this day comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is in four parts, each delivered by one of our high school seniors, and I'm honored to be the first speaker today. I initially found it hard to believe that when Jesus approaches his followers for the first time since his resurrection, the first word he says is peace. No announcement of his presence or explanation of how he has returned to human form, just a simple peace be with you. It always puzzled me. How could these people possibly be at peace? After all, they're witnessing someone whom they believed to be dead, standing and speaking before them in human form. It would only make sense that they react with fear and astonishment. The ironic part is that I find my answers to these questions roving th woven throughout the very same passage of scripture. Jesus is fully aware of the fear and the terror that his followers feel when they see him. However, all he wants is for them to feel at ease and peaceful in his presence. That is why Jesus says, peace be with you, and continues to say, why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet and see that it is I myself. The purpose of saying so is to quell the fear in his people and bring them peace, even in the face of an exceedingly confusing and chaotic time. Growing up, I always held on to the belief that peace was the direct result of fortunate circumstances, good luck, or hard work. I thought that if a particular sequence of events occurred, only then could I be at peace. To put it simply, I was living my life with peace as the ultimate end goal that I was always working towards yet could never quite reach. Like the rest of the world, the past year has forced me to pivot and readjust. I have had to break down the belief system I had about peace as an outcome that was dependent on my situation. It is actually the opposite. Peace is not conditional. It is always there should I choose to seek it out. Peace is a constant that I can always come back to even in times of fear or uncertainty. That is what Jesus is urging his people to do when he returns in the Gospel Luke. In fact, depending on which version you consult, the word peace appears in the Bible roughly 400 times. Apparently, God really, really wants us to be at peace. 
Every time that word appears, it serves as a reminder that peace is always an option, and God's desire is for us to find peace no matter the situation. Those 400 references of peace in the Bible certainly do not all occur in times of ease and simplicity. Peace saved people in times of darkness, confusion, and despair. Jesus' hope is for all of us that we see peace as something we can always come back to, especially in the face of fear and uncertainty, as was the case in this verse of Luke 24. It's only fitting that during the same week I spent exploring this text in the Gospel of Luke, I was introduced to a philosophy that has brought me a great sense of peace and freedom. The Hebrew word timshel, translated literally to thou mayest, but better interpreted as you may choose, plays a pivotal role for the characters in John Steinbeck's East of Eden. In the story, a particularly wise man named Lee offers timshel as a principle that makes a man great, that gives him stature with the gods, for in his weakness and his murder of his brother, he still has the great choice. He can choose the course and fight it through and win. At its core, Timshell is the epitome of what makes us human. We have free will, the power to make choices and determine the actions and reactions we take in our lives. Just as Jesus desires for his people to choose peace, Timshell grants us the freedom and the power to make that decision of peace. It is a call to active love, a call to accept the power of choosing. Once we assume the role of Timshell, Feelings of hopelessness and despair begin to fade because we have been liberated. In East of Eden, Steinbeck adds that Lee has a new love for that glittering instrument, the human soul. It is a unique and lovely thing in the universe. It is always attacked and never destroyed because thou mayest. You may choose. Under this philosophy, we are no longer stuck inactive. The only way we are really lost or despairing is if we believe we are powerless. Just as I learned in East of Eden, Jesus shows us that we are not powerless. We need not doubt. We can choose peace. I think it is serendipitous that both the Gospel of Luke and Steinbeck's commentary on Tim Shell happened to fall into my lap at the same time. I couldn't help but notice the way that both passages speak the same themes. Hearing Steinbeck's message, I feel set free. In the same liberating way, the Gospel sets us free to choose peace. My prayer for all of us is that we follow Jesus' simple words to those who witness his return, that amidst fear, astonishment, or doubt, we may find peace. Hi, and good morning. My name is Catherine Redd, and I'm a senior at Hutchison School. In order to graduate, every student at Hutchison must take four credits of English class, and this year I'm taking Heritage of Western Civilization and Culture, or simply just Heritage. We've covered a lot this year, but most recently just finished our study of the Old and New Testaments. So when Gianine told us our scripture today came from Luke, specifically chapter 24, verses 36 to 48, I was excited since I had just read this chapter at school. However, Just because I had just read Luke, it did not make the writing of this sermon any easier. I had to not look at this excerpt as a piece of history, but instead of what message was being relayed to the readers and how it made me feel. After reading this excerpt from Luke many times, I kept coming back to two things. The first thing was verse 38 and 41. Jesus has come back from the dead and is showing himself to his disciples. 
Verse 37 reads, they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. And 41 reads, while in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. There are a lot of things in my lifetime that have happened that I still can't believe happened. I can't believe Kobe Bryant scored 30, what? I can't believe Kobe Bryant scored 60 points in his last game ever, that Harry and Meghan actually left the royal family, and that, do you have an extra mask? I forgot mine is now a common phrase that I use. While these are events that are definitely insignificant in comparison to Jesus returning to earth after his death, it's sometimes hard to believe that they really did happen. I mean, 60 points in one game, it's pretty crazy. When I find myself really questioning if some of the events described in the Bible really happened, I go back to the second point that I, the second verse I kept going back to in the reading of Luke. It's, it's verse 46 and it says, Thus it is written. The verse goes on to say that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, which did indeed happen. It's recorded, written down, and published in the Bible. Just in the same way Kobe Bryant's last game was broadcasted, his stats were written down and published. I was going through my bedside table the other day, and I came across my faith statement from ninth grade confirmation. I found a list of questions that I had about God. Who is God? What does it mean to believe? Why do I believe in God? And so forth. But then, as I kept reading my statement, I found that I wrote, Jesus came to earth, not as God, but as proof God exists. I think Luke 24, 36 to 48, is the perfect response to what I wrote in my faith statement. Jesus' disciples are questioning if Jesus is actually living and walking with him with them after he died. In their joy, They were still disbelieving, but thus it is written. I've been asking questions about my faith for as long as I can remember, trying to learn more about God and why it's so important to me to be a Christian. I find it hard, scary, and exciting to put my full trust into someone that I've never seen with my own eyes. But it's passages like Luke and things I've written down myself that make it clear to me that, yes, it's okay to have doubts and ask questions, but when you're doubting and questioning God, All your answers can be found. Thus, it is written. Good morning. Andrew, you can zone out now. In Luke 24, 36 through 48, Christ appears to his disciples after his resurrection. At first, the disciples are afraid and doubt is raised. Fear and doubt are natural reactions to the things we cannot understand. I cannot blame the disciples for being afraid. I would be too if I was in their sandals. However, the disciples' fear and doubt changes to wonder and awe as Christ continues to speak. Then Christ opens their minds to the truth. The state of wonder and awe that the disciples are in has opened them up to experience what is objectively good, true, and beautiful. The disciples are ready to go out into the world and preach the word of God. As a modern society, we have forgotten what wonder and awe can do for us. We have become too reliant on science or the internet to explain everything. However, there are some things that we cannot explain. This is what Thomas Aquinas and G.K. Chesterton refer to as mystery. As Aquinas said, we cannot know what God is, but only what, what he is not. Scripture tells us what God is and what he has done. For example, 
from Scripture, we know that God is the Father of all creation. He is omnipresent and omnipotent. But we cannot rely on Scripture alone to comprehend the greater truths of the world. This is where examining God's creation comes into play. Science aims to do just this. Science has explained a lot of things that people cannot, that people used to wonder about. For example, uh, Copernicus's, Copernicus's discovery of the planet's orbit around the sun, or Dr. Jonas Salk's invention of the polio vaccine. However, when humanity aims to replace God with science, ego breaks in. And science is no closer to discovering deeper truths of the world than Andrew is to paying attention to my sermon. I see you. Not much longer, buddy. I'm almost done. Experiences with wonder and awe are God's way of awakening us to the deeper truth of things. An anecdote. It was a warm night in August, and my two-year-old neighbor was up past her bedtime for the first time. That night, she saw the full moon for the first time in her life. The look of pure awe on her face is something I will never forget. This sense of childlike wonder is what we need to rekindle within modern society. When Christ appears to his disciples in their locked room, he treats them like his children, saying, peace be with you. He begins to comfort them while revealing that, that he truly is the risen Christ. All three persons of the Trinity are present in this one scene. The Holy Spirit appears within the room, God the Father is tending to his children, and God the Son eats fish and shows the wounds on his hands, proving that he truly is the Son of Christ, the Son of God. God reveals the truth of the resurrection of Christ to the first Christians playing on their sense of wonder and awe. The truth of the power and existence of God is revealed through experiencing the objective goodness and beauty of his creation through wonder and awe. Children who have not been broken by ego, distracted by technology, or blinded by science are still able to experience the wonder of the world we live in. If we are all children of God, then we must reconnect to our sense of wonder, of childlike wonder, to truly know God. I leave you today with one quote by G.K. Chesterton. The world will never starve for want of wonders but only for want of wonder. I charge you, the children of God, to rekindle your sense of childlike wonder as you leave this space today and search for those bits and pieces of mystery that still remain within your life. Peace be with you. The disciples are standing together in a closed room, believing that there is safety in the shelter of four walls. After hearing of Jesus's resurrection, they did what any of us would have done, run for cover, find refuge in what they can control. For them, it was the safety of a locked door. I mean, the concept is pretty simple. Turn the key, keep the familiar in, let the unknown stay out. It's a very human thing, isn't it? When something disturbs us from the way things ought to be, we cling to the facts and the logic. Return to that safe space of what we can understand, what we know is right and proven to be true.
We all have those hiding places to which we retreat, put on a face of false conviction to mask the chaos in our hearts. The disciples chose the predictability and comfort of a closed room. My hiding place happened to be a name tag. Not that flimsy paper sticker with your name written in Sharpie. I'm talking about that wonderfully official, shiny piece of metal pinned on the lapel. The sort of thing that tells the world, I know who I am and what I'm doing, and you better know who I am and what I'm doing too. I'm sure my shiny elder name tag reflected the stained glass as I started the walk from altar to nave. Freshly ordained and eager, it was my first time serving communion. I gripped that serving tray in the clammy palms of two hands, reveling in self-righteousness. So this is what it means to look the part, act the part, be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Memorize the steps, pass the plate, return it to the front. I was anxious to make sure I remembered my position, rehearsing that dance over and over in my head of stepping back to receive the plate and then sending it on. I was anxious not to trip and fall and send Jesus's body broken for me all over the marble floor. I wanted to prove that the shiny name tag had marked the chest of the right servant. The one who could do it all, knew it all, the portrait of piety. To you it may sound like arrogance, but really I was ashamed, afraid, unsure of what it means to live as a person of faith. Jesus's teachings seem to go against every belief I've formed about the world around me. There's a stark contrast between this material life of resumes and grades and appearances in the kingdom of heaven where the last shall be first and the meek inherit the earth. That Sunday morning, I passed by the pews of the riverside transept with tunnel vision narrowed on the center pew where the instructions required me to stop. She was sitting alone, spotlighted under the mid-morning sun. From the center corner of my vision, I saw her rise from the velvet cushion and wave her arms frantically. Surely she couldn't mean me, wasn't trying to catch my eye and disturb me from the carefully choreographed routine of communion serving. I mean, I had the name tag in a place to be before Barry ended the offertory. She raised her voice over the organ. Hey. Face red, eyes down, I thought if I pretended I didn't hear, she would stop. Just sit down and do what we're supposed to do. Wait your turn. She yelled again. Hey, I haven't gotten it yet. You won't forget about me. Don't forget about me. There's something so wonderfully official about a name tag, isn't there? With it comes the series of steps. The ritual of sitting in the pews on a Sunday morning, praying the prayers memorized from childhood, monthly committee meetings, the communion serving instructions, going through the motions of what a Christian is supposed to do. Be nice, polished, put together, worship structure and order and ritual and polity until I am a faithful follower. 
Somewhere along the way, I came to believe that by doing the right things, I'll be able to know the presence of God. But the kingdom of heaven doesn't come from the carefully rehearsed. Perhaps that was why I was so stunned that communion morning. Not the fact that she was yelling, but the truth she was speaking. That holy interruption shaking me from the structure of what I thought I was supposed to be doing. For too long, I pushed back that lump in my throat, that loud beating in my heart, the yearning rising from my chest. I spend days too ashamed to admit that I stare at the ceiling in the dark when I can't sleep, whispering that same thing she called to me that Sunday morning in prayer. God, don't forget about me. Don't you dare forget about me. Isn't that what we're all doing here? Why we read the Bible Sunday after Sunday and sing the hymns and take the bread and drink the wine. And then every other day of the week, we keep on retreating to those hiding places of whatever gods we worship, money, power, lust, addiction, emptiness, numbness, trying to use our particular pain in self-destructive ways to scream, don't forget about me. Perhaps this is the call that summons us from the wilderness, the longing that stirs us from complacency and safety in a superficial life of faith. Jesus appeared to the disciples in a locked room saying, peace be with you. Jesus appeared in the riverside transept saying, don't forget about me. The kingdom of heaven doesn't come through the carefully rehearsed. Peace be with you. Don't forget about me. Amen.